0: You're listening to Calvary La Habra's podcast. For more information, visit us at calvarylh.com. Thanks for listening. Let's pray. Lord, our desire tonight is to be captivated by you and the, the truth of your word. As we have been going through um, over the last few studies, Uh, Through the Song of Solomon, we've been captivated with this amazing work, design, plan, institution that you formed called Marriage. And tonight here in this room and and possibly online, there are those that have been brought together, believing couples, one husband, one wife, that have just fallen in love and uh, have allowed you to be at the center of the relationship. And, Lord, we're here tonight. We're, we're tuning in tonight because none of us have arrived. And there's just so much more to learn about you, about this institution, about us, about our roles, about what you've designed for marriage. And so... Would our hearts be just open? Help us, Lord, to be alert and receptive. And we pray you'd fill us with your spirit tonight and that you would bless marriages and fill them with your spirit as well. Uh, May we not settle for less. May we lean into all that you've designed uh, marriage to be. And uh, we're open to your leading tonight. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, let's turn our Bibles over to the Song of Solomon, and we will close this out in chapter 7 and 8 tonight. Last uh, Wednesday we were here, and Lori and myself, just uh, by my invitation during worship, I asked her, okay, hey, let's just get up and talk about marriage a little bit. So um, if you were, you were here, you realize we're, we're not perfect, we don't have a perfect marriage. There is no perfect marriage in this room, there's no perfect marriage in this church, um, anyone that thinks they have a perfect marriage—they're just telling you they don't and they lie. So uh, that was a joke, but it's true. Amen. All of us who are married. Okay. So uh, it's—it's been—it's been great to be married to Lori for these thirty-three and a half years. We love each other. We love our marriage. Love our family. Um, and and I, I frankly enjoy being. Uh, This long into it and looking back over the years at all of the things that God has taught us, all of the failure that he's brought us through, the struggles he's brought us through, uh, the high points, the low points. Um, And I am glad that we are both together in the sense of we want to live our days out, however many of those days God gives us together. And um, we talk about this. We see greater value um, in marriage, in our marriage, 33 and a half years into it, um, we, we can't see life apart from each other. We talk about this, uh, her plans are my plans, my plans are her plans, and, uh, and there's a lot of work to be done. We're st- God's working on us every day. There is so much of Lance in this marriage that is not like Christ and needs to be like Christ, and that's the part of, of sanctification that... The Holy Spirit desires to continue to work in me and through me for her benefit, for our kids' benefit, for your benefit, uh, to the glory of God. And the same is true with Lori. Um, we've not arrived. And uh, we, we look at the value of our relationship as such. This is something God has given us. It's a gift. Um, he's called us and defined roles for us to live out within the parameters of marriage. Um, and it's something that needs work. It needs effort. It doesn't just happen. And so, in this era uh, that we started the book of Song of Solomon, um, we were smack dab in the middle of a pandemic. Some people still argue that we are. I believe that we're coming out of it. But um, it was an interesting time to, to land on that coming out of Ecclesiastes. But it was also a very timely time, because a lot of couples were, by virtue of the pandemic, finding themselves spending a lot more time together in homes, and and a lot of husbands weren't going into work, and wives weren't going into work and whatnot. And so it was a good time to work on marriage. And uh, so I think it was the the heart of God and just leading us uh, into this. So uh, in the early chapters, if I can just summarize a couple of things, and then we'll springboard right into chapter um, 7. Um, as you read through the account, you could tell that Solomon was always excited about meeting his Shulamite wife. And at, at first he was, I believe, very excited because of just the, the idea. Uh, I, I'm sure he wanted to get married. Um, he, he talks... He looks back and he talks about that season with great fondness. Um, him being this king, her being this country girl. Um, their hearts, you know, we talked about, you read their account of their time when they first met. And it seems like it was love at, at first sight. Um, they speak about it that way. They speak about love in their courtship. Um, they knew that they loved each other. They, they talked about their courtship. As a season where they loved uh, very much each other, um, they speak about their wedding and the love that they have for each other at the, their wedding day during their wedding ceremony. They speak about the love that they have and express towards one another um, on their wedding night. Um, in 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 chapter four, they, they 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 break that all down. It's 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 very like open and wow, that's pretty vulnerable to be talking that way about intimacy and whatnot. And in chapters 7 and 8, they're going to do that again, but even a little more passionately. So um, they they went through their, their courtship, their engagement, their, their, their marriage, God's way. And as they talk about it, they they elevate the, the, the significance, and we talked about this, the significance and the sacredness of what God designed for courtship, engagement, and marriage between one man and one woman. The the, the love that is on display here in the Song of Solomon is, is love that God puts on display in the life of this couple. And as so it's very attractive. I even said it's intoxicating as you read through it. It's expressive. It's respectful. It's sacrificial. It's pure. It's, it's sacred. The, the, the book, the song, the Song of Solomon shows that embracing love and expressing love within the parameters of God's plan for love is, is meaningful. It's fulfilling. It's meaningful to us, and we know that it's meaningful to God because over and over we see him in this love letter approving it. Since their love was from God, it was fitting that he would, he would approve it. They not only talk about the love that they experience in their marriage, but they also talk about some challenges that they experience in their marriage and in their relationship leading up to it. In chapter 5, there was some sort of issue. It doesn't really give the details. um, But there was a spat. It doesn't say what it was. But it was something that they allowed to just linger on and on. The next thing you know, she was so upset with Solomon that she goes to bed alone. He was so upset with her that we see him coming home late and knocking on the door and, and it was an unresolved issue. It was an unresolved issue that they allowed to linger and with time, it was a, an unresolved issue that had a hold on both of them. It changed who they were towards one another. Solomon's wife there, we see, had grown cold in her love towards her husband. Over and over and over, the love that she Expresses towards her husband, in in this whole song, it's just passionate, it's it's fervent, it's pursuant. But now it's 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 cold. And what had happened is she allowed something to come into her heart, and indifference would settle in, and apathy would settle in in her heart towards Solomon. And Solomon, as guys will do, they'll. they'll kind of react in a, a prideful way. And I said he kind of went out on a, a prideful, pouty walk. And, and, and he's outside late enough to where when he comes back, finally, after his little prideful, pouty walk, that there's dew on his head. So it was well into the evening. And, you know, when he finally swallows his pride and probably was cold and was missing the embrace of his wife and whatnot, he comes home and he begins to knock on the door and based on what he says, it sounds like maybe he got himself, you know, in a bit of trouble. He's like, open up, my, you know, my sister, my love. And using that word sister was a word of infect, affection. But open up the door, man, my love, my dove. All of those little endearing words. And even called her his perfect one. And so she finally gets up. And by the time she gets up, after making a few excuses of not getting up, he is gone. And all of this was dramatized in the dream. And in the dream, she goes looking for Solomon and realizes her need for him. She seeks out help from trusted people in her life. She finds her friends. Friends that were even in her wedding. Trusted individuals. These daughters of Jerusalem. We talked about them oftentimes. They had been a, a, a very trusted group of women, uh, single women in their life. And, and she found them out. And, and, and she says, you know, if you know where he's at, tell him, tell me where, you know, he is. I'm just absolutely lovesick. And, and she was missing his embrace. And the girls, they don't respond directly as in, yes, we're going to, you know, just tell you. They, they looked at her and they're like, well, hold on a second. What is so special about him? What's so special about him that you want us to go and look for him? And I thought that was brilliant. In doing that, they were really getting her to to question her heart, to look into her heart and to maybe be mindful of, you know, just the love that she really has for him. Uh, All the details of their spat weren't outlined in this word, but the spat went on for a while and quite possibly they were aware of the spat and aware, her friends were aware that there was an issue and whatnot, and finally she realizes it's went on too far, and now he's not home, and she goes and gets a hold of them, and they're like, "Well, hold on a second. let's talk about this." And, and just got her to really think about who he is and, and come to terms again with her love for him. And as she thinks through the marriage that they have, who God gave her and her husband. Her love is rekindled, and she begins to, 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 to brag him up through the rest of the chapter. Then you move into chapter 6, and their relationship is restored. Um, in verse 3, it's the, I am my beloved's, and my beloved is mine. He feeds his flock among the lilies. So the idea is that the spat is over. It's behind them, the, the hurt, the misunderstanding. It's been overcome The hardened hearts have been softened. The blame game is over. There's no more, you know, what is it, the cold shoulder and the indifference and the vibing and all of that. Forgiveness was extended from each one of them. Love had won out. And all that was needed for a complete reconciliation of their relationship was offered and embraced That's why my, my beloved's and my beloved is mine. We've come to the realization that we belong to each other. Then through the rest of chapter 6, Solomon really begins to brag up his wife. And that's great because through all of the ups and the downs of marriage, his love and his appreciation for his wife had grown. When Solomon reconnected with his bride, she realized how utterly captivated she was by her love for him and their love for one another as well. And in, in verse 12, his love for her lifted her up and carried her away like a, a chariot ride for a noble prince. And that brings us to chapter 7. This section portrays the, the further maturing of the couple's marriage. It shows the progress of their love continuing on as we see in these chapters, the the intimacy, the, the joy, the physical desire for one another that we saw them share and talk about on their wedding night hadn't faded. Um, it, had, it had grown because they had nourished that and their life together so that the joy of their married life increased. The joy and the fulfillment of their intimacy had increased, not decreased. In the section, the progress of their love, again, is revealed in very intimate terms. So if you have young kids in here or young kids online, uh, you might want to, I don't know, make them some, uh, some, some ice cream at home and, and sit in another room and have their ice cream. But the imagery here, it's, it's, and we're going to break it down, but the imagery here is much bolder and more intimate than the imagery that we saw and, and broke down in chapter 4 as they talked about their wedding night. And so an increase in, in sexual freedom and sexual expression it's, it's a normal part of a healthy maturing marriage that is between the couple. So in verse 1 How beautiful are your feet in sandals O oh, prince's daughter the curves of your thighs are like jewels the work of the hands of a skillful workman. Your navel is, rounded, is a rounded goblet. It lacks no blended beverage. Your waist is a heap of wheat. Set about with lilies. So he starts to observe his wife again. And he starts at her feet. And, and to them they were just absolutely um, beautiful. And then uh, he moves up. And, and, you know, I I think about this as well, and I don't know that we would look at her feet through the same lens of Solomon's eyes. Is that okay to say? I don't know that we would, as just a friend, maybe would look at the same feet of a Shulamite woman who was a farmer and go, wow, those are really beautiful feet. But how many of you guys know love does something to the eyes of the one that has fallen in love? Amen. Feet. I'll leave that one alone. But that's what I believe is 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 something to grab a hold of us here. This should grab a hold of us here. It's it's the perspective that love grows and builds over time. To him, he looked at her feet and he's like, "Those are just the most beautiful feet I've ever seen." Then he moves up to her legs. He's like, the curves of your your, your thighs, they're like jewels, the the work of the hands of a skillful workman. He he looked at her legs, and he's like, they're like exquisite work of like a master artisan. He was like really moved by her feet and really moved by his wife's legs. Then he moves up to the midsection, her stomach area, where he focuses in on her navel. And he compared her navel to a, a rounded goblets, and goblets... Were, were used to serve wine. So he was saying her body was as desirable and as, as like intoxicating as wine. A goblet never, that never runs dry is one that can never or, or, or ever, you know, get to a point where it doesn't satisfy. He's looking at her body, her feet, her legs, her midsection, and he's like, man, it's intoxicating, it's fulfilling, Earlier in chapter 4, verse 10, he, he had said that her love was better than wine. And the idea was her physical expressions of love to him as her husband had, had more refreshing and more intoxicating effect upon him than the finest of any wine. And then he looks at her waist as a heap of wheat set about with lilies. Now, to you and I as Westerners, you know, to the Western readers, some of these comparisons that Solomon uses, they they don't really seem complimentary at face value. You read this and you're like, okay, what's he actually saying here? But rest assured, everything that he's saying is complimentary in that culture. Comparing her waist to a mound of wheat could refer to the tan coloring uh, of her skin. But Wheat was on also one of the main resources of food there in Israel. So Solomon could be saying that his wife's physical expressions of love nourished him and satisfied him, even just physically looking at, at her or physically engaging with her. In verses 3 and 4, your two breasts are like two fawns, twins of a gazelle. The idea is that to him, her breasts were soft. They were like the soft coat of a little fawn. Your neck is like an ivory tower. And again, he's not saying that she has a really long neck. That's not what he's saying. He's saying that, it, you know, her neck, there's just the shape of it. It's beautiful. It's like, like the finest of materials crafted by the finest of the artisans. It's just, it's beautiful. He was recognizing the appearance of his wife as that of being majestic and and just something to just stare at and to, 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 to level these really heavy compliments. Your eyes are like the pools in Heshbon by the gate of Bath-Rabbin. Heshbon was a, a Moabite city that was famous for its uh, fertility and its water reservoirs. And so comparing her eyes to, to pools would indicate like depth of beauty in her eyes. Um, they reflect the peace and the beauty of these very famous, beautiful uh, pools in Heshbon. Your nose is like the Tower of Lebanon, which looks around towards Damascus. Now, we'd read that and go, no, what is he saying there? But again, the, 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 the Tower of, of Lebanon was a, a strong tower that helped uh, protect people in Damascus. So he may be saying that her, her 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 lovely features that he's calling out are just a reflection of her strong character. When you look at that tower from a distance, some of the commentators were saying, it, 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 they say it would add symmetry to the background. And the idea would be as he's looking at her and he gets up to her face, he's talking about her features, he, he could, could be saying that, like just her nose, the way it is set on her face, it's just beautiful, and it, it's a reflection of just the, the symmetry of her face is just all pulled together. It's beautiful. It's moved by her facial beauty. Verse 5, your head crowns you like Mount Carmel, and the hair of your head is like purple. A king is held captive by your uh, treasures. Everyone saw Mount Carmel as this Majestic, um, awesome mountain, and Solomon sees her like that, like a like a goddess, if you will. Her hair was so beautiful that this, you know, powerful king was completely captivated by her, by her hair, by the hair of his wife. How fair, verse six, and how pleasant you are, O love, with your delights. Again, he's so moved by her beauty that he calls her his love. Oh, love with your delights. And that's what happens when you're captivated with the wife, I always say, the wife of your youth. The wife that God has gifted you with. You realize, oh, love. That's, you love her. I mean, what a better word to say. What a better way to describe that. Verse 7. The stature of yours is like a palm tree and your breast like its clusters. I said, I will go up to the palm tree. I will take hold of its branches. Let now your breast be like clusters of the vine. Now he's beginning to talk about his, his sexual attraction for his wife. And he likens her, as he looks at her, he likens her to a stately you know, palm tree. Just a stately palm tree it would be curved, it would be majestic. He likens her breasts to a cluster of dates that he desires. And the, the meaning and, and the, the, the metaphor there could hardly be missed. Her breasts are a stimulus to his desire for her. The fragrance of your breath like apples. So we know it wasn't morning. And the roof of your mouth, like the breast, like the best wine. The wine goes down smoothly for my beloved. And so he's like, I, I, I just, I enjoy the intoxicating, the sweet, intoxicating fruit of her love. Her, her breath was even sweet smelling like, like apples. Moving gently the lips of sleepers. Sleepers is a reference to the love making, a roof of the mouth like the best of wine. Again, a reference to the exchange and the pleasure that they both enjoyed in kissing one another. It was sweet, like the best wine. <clears throat> then the Shulamite speaks, verse ten: "I am my beloved's, and his desire is toward me." The refrain of of mutual expression was, or mutual possession, excuse me, was already given in chapter 2, verse 16, where, remember, I'm my beloved's and he is mine. Again, in chapter 6, verse 3, I'm my beloved's and my beloved is mine. But here, however, the clause, my lover is mine, is replaced with his desire is for me. This is a more emphatic way of stating possession. How much more could a husband belong to his wife than for him to desire only her? She had so grown in the security of her husband's love for her that she could now say that his only desire, I am absolutely convinced, Through the highs and lows of marriage, I'm absolutely convinced that his only desire is for me. Total security we see here on display between a couple that is going about marriage and intimacy God's way. This woman is absolutely secure in her relationship with her husband. The, the expression is like, I fully belong to him. I, I, she just gets it. She's secure in that. Verse 11. Come, my beloved, let us go forth to the field. Let us lodge in the villages. Let us get up early to the vineyards. Let us see if the vine has budded, whether the grape blossoms are open and the pomegranates are in bloom. There I will give you my love. The mandrakes give off a fragrance, and at our gates are pleasant fruits. All manner, new and old, which I have laid up for you, my beloved. Now, in the first part of the chapter, verses 1 through 10, Solomon, he was the pursuer and the initiator of their lovemaking. Now, she is taking the initiative. And this is the first time in the Song of Solomon where his wife has made a direct request to be sexually intimate with her husband. But that love between them has grown. And her security in her relationship with her, rela- with her husband has grown. And now she's the pursuer. Having grown more secure in her love for her husband, she felt free to initiate the lovemaking. And I think that's really important to understand. I think that's a great thing to, to pause on. And oftentimes marriages will find themselves becoming less of what God designed marriage to be. Oftentimes they, they neglect the roles that God have, has called them to, to live out in that relationship. Oftentimes they just neglect the under, other individual. Oftentimes they neglect doing the things that that. Mature love. And stimulate love. Oftentimes, they. They neglect intimacy. And developing that part of the relationship. To where. Intimacy in that marriage. Is no longer what God designed intimacy. To be in a marriage. Absolutely there for procreation. But it's absolutely there as well. For pleasure. And for the fulfillment. Of your spouse. As we went through. 1 Corinthians chapter 7, and we talked about just what that chapter says as it relates to the intimacy within the bounds of marriage. And oftentimes we, we get this wrong, but Paul clearly says that the, the, the body of the husband, is the focus is not to get pleasure out of intimacy, but his body is to please his wife. And the same is true with the wife, that she has to understand that her body is for the pleasure of the husband. And the focus should be on that when it comes to intimacy. But what happens sometimes is that, you know, there can be many different things that can come in and complicate and, and minimize the intimacy in a relationship between, and we'll even say a Christian couple. And oftentimes they'll just settle for that. And, and oftentimes we'll find ourselves in a counseling situation. And and people will come in and 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 you know they're 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 frustrated. And 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 oftentimes they're pointing the finger at the other. Well, they are no longer doing this, they are no longer doing that. And when you look at the you just boil down our roles. We go into Ephesians chapter five. The um, instruction to the wife. If you really look at the role and the instruction that God gives to the wife there in Ephesians chapter 5, it's really one of following her husband. That she would be submissive, yes. And, and you know, we don't want to overstate that word. It, it speaks about a position that God has given the wife in that relationship. There's a, a ranking under, if you will. But a ranking under what? Then we get to the role of the husband, and the, wife, the husband is to love his wife as Christ. Love the church in every aspect of that relationship, emotionally, mentally, spiritually, physically, monetarily. Everything that he is to be in covering her and providing for her and protecting her and developing her emotionally and physically. and all of those things as it relates to the intimacy of that relationship. He's responsible for that. Well, who is he supposed to be? He is to be the, the initiator of love. It isn't just, you know, to, to set the mood and to put the candles out. We're not talking about that. How many of you, I'll just talk to you girls. How many of you guys know, you girls know, that intimacy begins long before you get into the bedroom? I know it's kind of weird and everything, because there's not a lot of people here tonight, but I heard one amen. Uh, I'm not even going to ask the questions, okay, because I'm going to turn red. Um, because I'm going to think that you're not tracking with me. But it begins in conversations leading up to that. It begins in your attitude towards your wife long before you become intimate with your wife. It's winning over her heart, it's, it's, it's captivating her in, in how you respond to her, how you talk to her. You, you, you know, the, the intimacy should be something that's cherished. Two people coming together and cherishing one another. But we, we want to begin to show that we cherish our spouse long before we become intimate with them. And the idea that we're seeing here is that, that Solomon was realizing that, that he was maturing his... The, the, the love that his wife had for him was a result of who he had become in her life. And she was becoming more secure and more secure and more secure in her love for him. And that drove her to a point of saying, I'm going to pursue you physically. And so it's something we don't just want to pass over. This is important. So she asked him to go to the field, to the countryside, where they could go and, and, and spend the night together. Let us get up early to the vineyards. Let us see if the, the vine has budded, whether the great blossoms are open and the pomegranates are in bloom. And, you know, the, the imagery here that's used of spring. You know, she she used the image of spring to ask whether there was still the same freshness and the same anticipation that had initially characterized, you know, the intimacy between them early on. Let's go see. She answers in the affirmative, by the way. Absolutely, yes. Spring is in the air, Solomon. Vines are a-blooming. Grapes are a-blossoming. And pomegranates are, 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 are blooming as well. And the mandrakes, they're, they're full of fragrance. They're, they're similar in size to an apple, and they're red in color, and they're also, were seen as an aphrodisiac in that particular day and stage. She was like, it's on if you want to get away. Then is that okay to say? Yeah. Indeed. Good, indeed. So again, understand, when we started, you know, the Song of Solomon, we said, look it, we're gonna we're gonna talk about love that God has given human beings that are married, and that love and how they are to express that love and develop that love in the confines of marriage as God intended that to be. And, and we said that when you when you Begin to read this and talk about this. There's no shame. There's no there's no blushing involved. It's it's wide open. And I said, as we'll go through this, we'll we'll kind of get a little bit awkward sometimes. And the reason that we do is because we are imperfect people in imperfect marriages. We struggle at times. And also, we have lived in this world for however many years, and the world has redefined marriage redefines sex in, in ways that it's, it's almost like, well, we don't want to be talking about that openly and publicly. And, and, but you, you, you get into the Word of God and you see that it's sacred. It's holy. It's, it's something that God talks about wide open, especially as you get into intimacy. He's talking about some pretty wide open stuff here. In these closing verses in chapter 8, Solomon's wife Again, revealing a growing desire for greater intimacy with her husband and rejoicing. And just the the, the different aspects of the relationship. Verse 1, oh, that you were like my brother who nursed at my mother's breasts. If I should find you outside, I'm going to kiss you. I would not be despised. What is she saying here? In the ancient East, displays of affection were were frowned upon except in the case of certain family members, a father, a a brother, or a near relative. So Solomon's wife, the Shulamite woman here, she starts off and she goes, I I just wish that that my, my husband were like my brother to her in that I wish I could show physical expression to you, Solomon, openly and publicly without the public despising any of it, just like I can in going up and kissing both of of the cheeks of my brother. I wish I just, I love you so much, I wish that my love could break through all of the cultural misconceptions and and perceptions. I would lead you in verse 2 and bring you into the house of my mother, she who nursed or used to instruct me. I would cause you to drink of special wine of the juice of my pomegranate. The ladies of the house, the, the, the sisters and the mothers, they would, they would give a, a, a special wine to the guest. It was a way of displaying friendship. And so Solomon's wife here, she... She not only does she want to show him affection, unashamedly, publicly, and open, but she wants to approach him as one winning over a friend. It's a a picture, really picturing another aspect of the relationship. Yeah, we're lovers. And I love that. And I'm pursuing him. But I'm also his friend. They had developed their friendship over the years. Now, when we started the Song of Solomon, we said, you know, it doesn't matter how many years you've been married. This doesn't matter. I mean, this book, as we go through it, whatever flame needs to be fanned, whatever part of our friendship needs to be rekindled, whatever part in, in you know let's be open to that and let's let the lord stir up something unique within us something fresh within us amen can we say amen to that yeah amen okay yeah and at the same time how many of you guys know we're we're married to people that were raised in different homes than us there's there's just so so much difference between us and and you know you might have one couple, in the couple, the, one, the man or the woman, one, one of you might have been raised in a house that was very much open to communication and, and, and very verbal and, and, and talked about their affection and maybe even displayed affection and maybe another person in that marriage, you know, the, the other spouse wasn't. And so you, you come together and you, try and you try and fix that over the course of some time and without making an effort, you can stay very different for days, weeks, months, and decades. You got to work through that and talk about that and find who you are supposed to be in your marriage. You see, we left our father and our mother so that we could cleave, so that we could become one to our spouse. And there's a lot of our father and mother that needs to be chipped off. uh, 33 and a half years into it, there's still parts of Fred and Linda that need to be chipped off a lance and Jack and Pierre, you know, Jack and Sally Pierre, it's parts of that that need to be chipped off in Lori. It's It's just part of that process. And you should be okay talking about that. And for you that are looking at marriage and looking to merge together, understand there's a lot of change that comes with marriage. A lot of change, radical, necessary change that comes with marriage. And I always say to the person that's like, you know, focused on the other person and how they need to change. And, you know, they, they, I need a spouse. that will be just like me. Well, then you should have married yourself. I always say that. But it's interesting. The more you are married and the more you will take that humble approach and allow the Lord to soften those hard parts of you that will not blend and mesh with the new you, the merging, your marriage. Man, if, if you resent that or don't deal with that, it'll hold you apart in those areas. But if you just soften up, God will soften your heart. And he'll give you the ability and the wisdom to work through that. And And, and it's funny because some of those things that maybe... Are still there because it's maybe your personality, just what you were raised to be, and whatnot. All of a sudden, those things that used to be maybe competing factors become complementary factors. To, To this day, Lori and I, when you know, throughout the week, we laugh at each other a lot. We laugh at each other not because we're goofballs, like "Whoa, you're really a goofball." We laugh. No, it's it's more of what we're becoming. We find joy in that. There's things to laugh about. We're not laughing at them. We're laughing with them about our marriage, how cool it is, and how fun it is. Oftentimes, we, we think the same thing. So like we, the, the same thing comes out of our mouth, and we look at each other, and we just kind of laugh. Before, it used to surprise us. Now we're like, no, that's part of the merging. As it relates to, to love and the growing of our love and the intimacy and the growing of our intimacy, all of these things don't just happen. These are things we talk about. These are things we work on. These are things that that we cut swaths of our time out intentionally so that we can grow on those things and and work on those things. And in those seasons of our life where we have struggled, it's a result that we haven't cut out those swaths of time and worked on those things. And when you do, you can find yourself in the most fulfilling relationship next to our relationship with the Lord on this planet as i've always said you will never be one with any of your children but you will always be one with the wife of your youth guys Amen. and and that is just such a unique relationship that should be trophied and treasured and treated as sacred and 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 like fanned and worked on so that you enjoy what it, it, it needs to become it's not going to naturally grow that way you grow it that way and you're going to be you know sometimes i wake up in the middle of the night you, you know and, and I'll, i just look over at Lori, and i'm like i i have laid next to this woman for 33 and a half years just look at her breathing there so she you know and and i and i smile i just might freak out tonight i didn't know you did that a whole lot i do that oh well and I, I thank the Lord for her. I just look at her. She's beautiful. I love her. And I thank the Lord for her. And, and we get to wake up together. And, and she knows me. I know her. We, 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 we understand each other. Our, our, our routines and all of the, the, the routines that we find ourselves practicing right now. They're not the same as they were in the last season. They're not going to be the same as they are in the next season. How many of you guys know that a marriage, the merging of marriage, is an ever-changing thing? And you've got to be flexible. And, and you've got to be uh, flexible to your spouse and be open to their change when they're going to change. And be able to, to merge with that and pursue that and to develop that. And so, you know, these are good questions. If you're in a, a marriage relationship right now and, and you're struggling in some of these areas, welcome. <laughs> That's marriage. If you find yourself in a relationship where you're wishing that your spouse would pursue you, you want to, you like, deal with that, just, just go back to the basics. If you are a wife, who has God called you to be? And, and what does the Word of God say about all of that? And you just be that. You love that guy. If you're the husband, go back to the simple basics of what God has called you to be. Just love your wife unconditionally. I want her to pursue me more. You start pursuing her more. I want her to be more affectionate. You be more affection. Affectionate. I want more intimacy. Start being more intimate in your conversations. Start being intentional, and, and, and don't make it all about just the physical. And, and intimacy is more than just that physical expression. So these are these are things that that we're learning about as we close out the chapter that they worked on, that they developed, and now they're looking back on the relationship with great fondness. And this is what they value. So they're lovers and they're friends, and it's growing. Their love is growing, their friendship is growing. To the daughters of Jerusalem, her friends again, they speak up, or she does. Verse 3: His left hand is under my head, his right hand embraces me. I charge you, O daughters of Jerusalem. Do not stir up nor awaken love until it pleases. So Solomon's wife again, once again, telling her girlfriends throughout the song of Solomon how wonderful marriage is. The love, the security, the intimacy, how she cannot bear to be apart from her husband. Now she gives them just a very passionate picture of them being intimate His left hand is under my head. His right hand is embracing me. I charge you, O daughters of Jerusalem. Don't you dare be stirring up love before, until it pleases. Again, follow my lead. Learn from me. Don't awaken romantic love through a physical relationship with anybody until you're married. Don't awaken it before it's proper time. And again, the proper time is God's time. Don't Dare settle for something less. Wait for that God-ordained environment of love where you can embrace real, lifelong commitment as God has designed it. Do it God's way and we said you'll enjoy it. Do it Satan's way and you will destroy it. Do it God's way and be able to enjoy the fullness of how God wants that relationship to be expressed from friendship to intimacy. Love renewed in Lebanon, a relative here. So now we have a picture in these closing verses or these next verses of Solomon taking his wife back to her homeland, which was up on the border of Lebanon. And um, as they approach, a relative comes out and and says in verse 5, Who is this coming up from the wilderness, leaning upon her beloved? I awakened you under the apple tree. There your mother brought you forth. There she who bore you brought you forth. So as they're coming back to um, his in-laws, a relative comes outside and is like, man, oh, I remember you. Pointing to Solomon's wife when you were born. how, How amazing of a life now you've been given. How encouraging this greeting must have been to Solomon and how complimentary and whatnot. So now his wife to him, Shulamite to her beloved, verse 6, set me as a seal upon your heart, as a seal upon your arm. Again, a seal was a mark of ownership. It was, you know, a mark of ownership upon a valued possession. So she asked to be her lover that, 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 she be his most valued possession. Oh, that i just be your most valuable possession. A possession that would like influence his thoughts. A seal upon your heart. That's the idea. And even influence his actions. That I'd be a seal upon your arm. Very serious demand. So she explains why. Verse 6. For love is as strong as death as irresistible as death. <coughs> Here's the idea. Love is a very powerful thing that grips and alters our life. That's what she says. Love is like Cupid's arrow. When it, it strikes, it slays. Thank you very much. We're we're, we're hiring water boys here. I don't know. We fired one. But Wednesday night has an opening. Paul, you're hired. Thank you. But the idea, love is as strong as death. It's just when it grabs a hold of you, it it just grips and alters your life. Jealousy, as cruel as as the grave. Love, Love is like death in that When it grabs a hold of you, it is exclusive. It is possessive. Once love gets a hold of you, it never lets go. That's the idea. That's what she's expressing. The love that God gives to a marriage being expressed and embraced within that marriage, the confines of that marriage between Solomon and his wife, that's how she looks at love when they go about it God's way. It's flames are flames of fire. A most vehement flame. Again, speaking of the passion. It's both powerful. He saw it as eternal. Love is is a passionate fire in the soul. Love is compared to the strongest and the most powerful forces known. The power of death, the power of the flame. Death, the all-consuming foe, it just never gives up. Fire, it's bright, it's hot, it's powerful. Many waters cannot quench love, nor can the floods drown it out. It's, it's like, to her, the biblical love here in a marriage, it's an overwhelming power. Again, two people expressing and embracing love in the confines of marriage Between a husband and wife, the way that God intended it. This is their perception of love. All the wealth of his house, it would be utterly despised. This final statement about the love depicted between them, love in the song, the song of Solomon, the marital love between Solomon and his wife is That love is priceless. Let me repeat it. The love that they are experiencing, expressing and embracing, love as God has designed it to be expressed and embraced between the confines of marriage, between a husband and a wife, they see it as the most priceless thing on the planet. Why wouldn't you treat it as such and grow it as such and invest in it as such is the idea. All the wealth would be totally inadequate to purchase such love. Such money would be utterly despised because love, this thing that we have cannot be bought. Any attempt to even do that would just depersonalize it. And so if love is priceless, how then can it be obtained? The answer is this, it must be given. And ultimately, love is a gift from God, and they were enjoying it. In the closing epilogue, verses 8 through 12, we're given a flashback explaining the protection of the beloved Solomon's wife by her older brothers when she was young, then You look once again to her initial meeting with Solomon and then Solomon concludes in verses 13 and 14 with statements that show the couple's love has not lost any intensity. So the Shulamites brothers, verse eight, we have a little sister. She has no breasts. What shall we do for our sister in the day when she is spoken for? If she is a wall, we will build upon her battlement of silver. And if she is a door, we will enclose her with boards of cedar. Solomon's wife, this Shulamite woman, the beloved, she grew up in a home where her older brothers made definite plans to prepare her for marriage, the day that she would be spoken for here. If she displayed good judgment and good character and restraint, and resisted temptation, if she's a wall, is the idea, then they would allow her some measure of freedom and reward her with a battlement of silver, a beautiful, much-valued headpiece or an ornament. But if she was reckless, reckless, excuse me, and prone to immorality, if she is open to the advances like a door. Then they would enclose her with boards of cedar. They would restrict her freedom like a barricaded door with planks. The Shulamite, Solomon's wife. Verse 10. Well, I am a wall. I was chased. I stayed that way. Thus, she did not need the restrictions that the brothers were talking about. And my breasts like towers... Then I became in his eyes as one who found peace. So having been one now, she looks back, that has grown up and matured physically. She She was pure and she stayed pure for her husband, which enabled her to give him, Solomon, her husband, peace or contentment physically. Verse 11, Solomon had a vineyard at, Baal Hammon. he leased the vineyard to keepers. Everyone was to bring for its fruit a thousand silver coins. So to Solomon, when, when they first met, she was in a vineyard, you remember that, and Solomon had, had obviously leased that out to her brothers. Each tenant was to grow enough grapes to make A 1,000 shekels, about 25 pounds of silver to the landowner. And each tenant would receive about 200 shekels, about 5 pounds of silver in his wages. As stated near the beginning of the book in chapter 1, she worked that vineyard. She, now we see, was in submission to her family, her brothers in that vineyard. But it's in that same vineyard that she... Was discovered by Solomon. It's where their eyes first met. It's where they first met. It's where they first fell in love. So, verse 12 My own vineyard is before me. You, O Solomon, may have a thousand, and those who tend its fruit, two hundred. My own vineyard is a metaphor for the beloved's own person. She says, Her own vineyard was hers to give. And she freely chose to give herself to Solomon. Even her possessions, the ideas, even her income was his. She was so captivated and so won over that every part of her being, every part of her livelihood, every part of, of her was his. The beloved Solomon, verse 13 You who dwell in the gardens, the companions, listen for your voice. Let me hear it. The Shulamite, Solomon's wife. Somehow the wife gets the last word in. I don't know how that works. (laughs) Make haste, my beloved, and be like a gazelle or a young stag on the mountains of spices. So these final words of these two lovers recall their early passion and the early passionate requests through their, 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 their courtships to talk to one another, to court one another, to see one another. And, and they're looking back on that and they, they, they look at that love and they're like, we never lost that love. That, that love grew in its intensity. Solomon said, Man, just let me hear your voice. Solomon recognized he had made an impact on her when they first met and started to fall in love. And she requested that her lover Solomon, that he be like a gazelle or like a young stag and responding to her. She was really attracted to this guy. And she wanted him to pursue her like a gazelle or like a young stallion. They move quickly and powerfully and and passionately. And, and the idea was that in their courtship, she's looking back, she goes, I just got to a point where I just longed to be his bride, and I wanted him to pursue me. Culturally, that was the fact, but also just humanly speaking, that's the makeup of, of women. They want to be pursued. And once they find that they have, have given their heart over to someone and they've fallen in love with someone, for you younger people, as you you... You you go through your courtship and whatnot. Understand that there will be a time in the heart of of a woman where she's like, okay, I'm yours. Let's take this forward to the oneness that I want to have with you, marriage. And uh, in this day and age, we see people getting married older and older and whatnot. And I, I caution you guys to really think, men, to really think through this. And even with Lori, we were honest in, in talking about the challenges that we had early on in our, our dating and in our courtship. And just we, our, the timing and all was was off. And it took a while for us to, to get our timing together. And when we did, it was on. And we stepped into engagement and, and marriage and whatnot. But she's looking back. And I think that's very insightful for for the men that are looking to get married. Once you get to that point in a relationship and and I, and I often will see people and I'm like, hey, you guys talking about marriage. And once you start talking about marriage, guys, understand something is happening in the heart of women that's probably a little bit different than the heart of you. And so be ready when you start having those conversations to be a man about it and to be a Christian about it and to be open about it and be responsible with where that could go. Don't string them out too long is the idea. That's the idea. She was like, man, I was ready, and I wanted him to move quickly and be like a gazelle or a young stag on the mountains of spices. Again, referring to her breasts, being spice-laden means that they were perfumed. And the idea was that, that they, they even came to a point through their relationship and courtship and engagement and, and, and marriage where she was doing her part to attract him and to draw him. So the Song of Songs, this beautiful picture of God's endorsement of physical love between a husband and a wife. Marriage is to be monogamous, permanent, self-giving. A relationship in which a husband and a wife are intently and intensely devoted and committed to one another and take delight in one another. Genesis 2.24. For this reason, a man will leave his father and his mother and be united to his wife and they shall become one flesh. Let's stand. When we finished the book of Psalms, it took so long Three years, that um, I, I, I had a cake brought into the church. And we said, you guys remember that? The Psalms cake? We all celebrated and everything. And I was thinking about this. I said, we should have made a wedding cake at the end of the Song of Psalms. I, I didn't do it. Some of you are like, oh, we got cake tonight. No, we don't. We don't. Sorry. It was too short. It was just a few weeks. But um, I pray we always look back on this. We cherish this. You know, people will say, what did you learn? during COVID, think about some of the things we could share. Think about the studies we've, we've went through over the last 12 months, but specifically as marriages, I, I, I pray we cherish these words and and the lessons and the examples that God has given us in our time together. And, um, I pray that our marriages here become, you know, great examples to this next generation. Um, of young young adults that are now um, moving into that era of, of courting and whatnot. And I pray that um, we can be honest and transparent and, and help them along um, through that through that season. And, uh, you know, for any of you that are struggling in, in, in any of these areas, I pray that you don't just, you know, huddle and, and, and stay together and just kind of don't deal with it. I, I man... I pray you you reach out if you're struggling at all in, in with the idea of marriage or in your marriage and just you know get a hold of the church. we'd love to sit down with you and find another couple that guess what they're struggling in marriage just like you <laughs> no one's perfect they'd love to sit down and encourage you and and love on you and listen we are we are living in a day and in an age where this this godless Post Christian era that we are living in, a lot of people are are really not excited about anybody that doesn't line up with their ideology and their views. That's a world we're waking up in now. And I've said this for probably the last 10 years that they're going to become less and less tolerant, not just with our views. They were at least there was a in in years past. They were, okay, you have your views, we have our views. Live and let live. I don't believe that's the world we're living in these days. I believe it's live, and you will live like I live. And if you don't live like I live, then you are a threat to me. That's how far it's gone. And so, me and Lori, and you standing next to your spouse right now, and you holding on to what is biblical. For your marriage. It's not just that you are different than them. It's not just that you oppose them in their view. They look at the church. They look at Christianity. They look at everything you stand for. And this is the core. Understand. Marriage. Within our church. Within the body of Christ. This oneness relationship. It, it's, 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 it's at the core of things. And the enemy, I believe, has really changed the thinking and now we're not just, we're a threat. We're just a blatant threat. And our, our our view of marriage is seen as very limited. And now it would be even put in the category, I believe, the biblical view of marriage would be completely against the grain of the culture. And they would even say that we are not just intolerant, but they would go as far as to say that it, it's a bigoted view. It's a... A racist view is probably what they would label on it now somehow. Somehow the race card's coming in there. But I say that not to bum you out. I, I, I just say that. You already know what we're talking about here. But I, I say that to encourage you to hold on, hold that line, and, and just continue to fall in love with your spouse. Continue to fall in love with the Lord. He fights for us. He will protect your marriage. He will stand with you. A three-fold cord is not quickly broken. And I would not want to be living in this world without my spouse. I would not want to be wanting to, to live in this world without you. I mean that. I, without the body of Christ and the support and the security uh, of the body of Christ. It's running out to other states. I hope they find what they had here, some, a support base. This world is just getting crazier. And so your marriages are just that much more special. The love that God has given us is just that much more special. The bond that you have, the the strength and the stability and the support that you have from your spouse is just that much more special in a world that's attacking all of our values. So share this with the rest of our church that doesn't think they need to be sitting through Bible studies like this right now. Please, please. I encourage you, when you see people, hey, you've been around on Wednesday nights, you've been around, let's talk about that. Keep this conversation alive. Amen? Amen? That's what it's about. So, Father, we close out this Song of Solomon and ask that you would continue to bless marriages. Those that are here, thank you for the time and the sacrifice that they have made to be here. And, Lord, for those online as well. We pray for our church and the marriages that make up this church, the family units, and we pray, Lord, that you would protect them, Lord, that you would grow them and mature all of our relationships. Lord, we pray that they would become more sacred, more like you, more what you've designed marriage to be. Lord, as we've been talking about with our staff guys of just this summer, even doing some marriage stuff on a Saturday and whatnot, would you, would you direct us as a church, please? Give us wisdom. And Lord, may we, may we know and may we be more convicted than ever to the dangers, the pitfalls and just the landmines of the world around us today. Lord, I just uh, my heart has been so heavy when you know we we see what's going on and what they're what they're just forcing into our public schools and into the public arena. My heart is heavy for the church. I know it's yours. I know it's a bloodbought. Our marriage is the same. But Lord, we need wisdom as well. And and we, we can ask for that, but we can also gain that by getting into your word as we've done through the Song of Solomon. So, Lord, have your hand on us as your bride, we pray in Jesus' name. And that kid that's crying, help that kid out in Jesus' name. Amen and amen.